For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another exhilarating edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Dotson. With me is, uh, let's be honest, your favorite uh, host, if you're a listener of this show, Joel Luckup. How you doing today, Joel? It's not my favorite. <laughs> well, everyone else's. You're my favorite. But then, but then again, I don't listen. So, you know. I'm kidding. <laughs> ouch. I'm kidding. Ouch. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, this is the only podcast I listen to. Well, the, as, the, as far as you know. <laughs> as far as the listeners of this this podcast would know, yes. Exactly. Anyway, thank you. That was a very nice introduction. I appreciate that. Uh, you doing okay today? Uh, enjoying Reds baseball? I am. I am. We are currently in the lead in this game that we're watching that nobody was currently watching with us while they were watching it, but they're not listening and watching at the same time. But I don't know. Science is weird. I don't get all this time-space continuum stuff. Exactly. Somehow we are – this is the future when people are listening to this. So Well, they're not winning anymore. Uh, oh, <laughs> prob- probably not. That's a pretty safe bet. No, the Reds have been winning uh, more often lately, and, uh, of course, they're winning – well, never mind. <laughs> I guess my TV, my TV feed is a little ahead of yours. But anyway, so Andrew McCutcheon just hit a, oh. you know, a game-tying home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Right. I was watching it fly out as I was saying that. So, yeah, spo- spoiler alert if you are uh, somehow have it on DVR, I guess. So, 5-5 yeah. to five game, but the Reds have won two straight series, and we'll get into the ins and the outs of uh, how they've been playing over the last week uh, since we were last uh, with you on Red Leg Nation Radio. But I think the topic that's on, been on really most people's minds, if you're a fan of the Reds, and it's the guy that I want to talk about, it's the, the, the most fun thing to talk about in Reds land at this day and age, Devin Miserocco. Now, I'm a longtime Devin Miserocco fan. Uh, I, I tried to claim on, uh, on Twitter last week that uh, Miserocco is going to be the um, I tried to claim that I had predicted preseason that Mesoraco would uh, be the best hitting catcher in the National League. I, I don't believe that. Um, but he's off to some kind of start uh, at this point. Although you noted something about his performance in tonight's game that uh, I'm a little disappointed on when we were off the air. You want to go ahead and share that with the listeners? Well, he made an out. Yeah, and what's it, up with that? I don't know. I didn't know that he could, but, you know, whatever. Uh, he's He's currently batting 541 as we speak. Um, and it's just white hot, as they say. So it's pretty incredible. It's one of those experiences that um, only comes along, you know, every five or ten years or so in Reds history. In fact, uh, he is batting over 500. This is the latest anybody in Reds uh, the, for the Reds has batted over 500 since Barry Larkin in 1990. Hey, that guy so, was pretty good. Yes, yes, he was. Uh, he was kind of good. So, but he's also got a long way to go until he catches Pete Rose, who uh, in 1976 had made it 72 plate appearances into the season, batting 500. Golly, that's almost uh, impossible to believe. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I've been enjoying on Twitter that you've been sort of uh, following Mesoraco's progress and uh, naming some of the guys who'd had hot starts before, and got to enjoy some uh, a blast from the past, such as Chris Steins. 
Yes. So anytime yes. you can work Chris Steins into a, a Reds conversation, you're doing well. You know, Chris Chris Steins must have been. I, I mean, I don't remember this back then. I I wasn't as into stats back then as I am now. Uh, he must have been one of the streakiest players ever, because when my query came up to find you know guys, so I did two different queries. I did 38 plate appearances to start the season, which Chris Steins was on that list from 19 uh, from 1997, which uh, was actually not didn't start until August. He didn't he didn't make his season debut until August that year. But even either way, you know, it was still very impressive. Uh, he was batting like something like 520 or whatever. Um, and then the other big streak came in 2000, and he went an incredible something like 21 for 32 or something like that. Whatever, whatever is like 636 was his batting average over that 38 plate appearance uh, set, which is just ridiculous. And I uh, someday when I have the time, because the query takes a long time to run. Someday when I have the time, I want to see if anybody's ever hit better than 21 for 32 over a 38 plate appearance stretch, because that's just incredible. And it's Chris Stein <laughs> of all people. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems impossible uh, to do against the best pitchers in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I remember about Steins was that uh, obviously you talk about him making his debut late in the year uh, was how he had just blown everybody away at the end of the year and then the following spring uh all the uh, articles in the in the inquirer and, and and in the media about how he's the uh the future basically mm-hmm. and uh of course it, that didn't turn out to be the case and it was a pretty good example of uh drawing too big a conclusion based on small sample size but man it was fun yeah and when i don't even like i'm not i'm not sure of this but i i want to say he was something like 26 that year or something you know right, was, yeah you know, it's not like he was this giant prospect or anything like that. He was just, yeah. Anyway, yeah. as he and John Nunnally that uh, that fall, and uh, yes, those guys were uh, supposed to be the future. Um, they were, and I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's see, I was 21 years old then, so I'm pretty sure 21 year old me probably thought they were something special too. I was so naive back then. <laughs> Terrible! How embarrassing. Um, well, what do you think about Devin Mesoraco, though? Mesoraco, he's been an interesting guy all through his career. You know, um, mm-hmm. he started off slowly, uh, really at two or three different levels, and and you know, uh, well, he started off slowly in his professional career. After a couple of years, uh, people are starting to talk, which is ridiculous to talk about the word bust uh, that quickly. But uh, people were wondering if he wasn't going to be the guy that they thought he would be when he was the number one draft pick, and he chose to come to the Reds instead of honoring his scholarship uh, acceptance to the University of Virginia. Um, just let it go. Let it go, man. <laughs> the only way I can let it go, I guess the only way that I was okay with that was the fact that he, he signed with the Reds. So yeah. uh, anyone else, it would have been not good. Um, <laughs> but, and now he's had a couple of, you know, a couple of years to sort of get his, uh, of, uh, you know, or a cup of coffee there. And then last year he was the, the backup all season. And, uh, and this year it was handed over to him. Ryan Hannigan, who we, who we love here at, at Red Lake Nation Radio was, was traded away and, and, uh, you know, maybe the Reds saw something that uh, they expected him to. Now, he's not going to hit. I'm predicting here he's not going to hit 500 the whole season. Um, that's that's probably a safe bet. Although I tweeted that out uh, last week, and some, I got like two tweets telling me to quit being such a hater. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so completely serious tweets. So that's Twitter for you. Well, um, come on. Twitter. <laughs> Can you really tell if it's serious? No, well, good point. Good point. <laughs> but... Uh, but I mean, he he looks locked in. He said he's never had a hot streak like this. Is going back to little league, 
And, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to be uh, the top hitting catcher in the National League, we don't think, but uh, there's a pretty good chance he could uh, – we, we talk about it, players that – and you and I have talked about it several times here. At several different spots around the diamond, there, there's a good chance that the Reds could make incremental gains over what they had at that position last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? If Mezzarocco can, you know, what if he makes a substantial gain over what the Reds got out of their catchers last year? Um well, the that, thing that, that I mean, sorry, I mean, no, go ahead. I was going to say that, that that could be big. Yeah, and the thing that we've talked about for years is one of the things that the Reds really need is a power bat from the right side. And you know, I I'm not certain. I mean, Mesoraco hits the ball so hard, so he you know he could turn into a 25 home run guy. I I mean, I think he's more like a 20 home run guy, but I also think he's like a 30 double guy too, which is pretty. That's pretty solid. 50 extra base hits from a catcher, given the fact that he's probably only going to play 120 you know games, 130 games max. Um, you know, that's that's that would be. You know, essentially your power right-handed bat. And he's not going to slug 900 all season either. Um, but you know, he's hater. He's, I know he's probably going to. You know, I would guess, given that he's got such a, 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 it's not a great amount of padding, but he's got some padding here at the front. I would guess that he's probably going to finish around, you know, maybe 270 with, you know, 450 slugging. If you get a 450 slugging out of your cut, out of your catcher, that. You know, I think that's a solid year, and um, you know, I, I, it's not hating to say that you know if if he pulls that off, that it's going to be uh, probably a little better than I expected. I think I was originally projecting him around something like you know two fifty with uh, with a four hundred slugging this year. So you know, uh, a nice little boost on both of those numbers, given that it's really the first time that he's got uh, everyday playing time. Yeah, and and, and that would uh, sort of change the way I view. The Reds' offense as a whole, um, you know, having that uh, the catcher's not been a black hole for the last few years. The Reds' catchers have been underrated uh, over the last few years uh, between the Mezzarocco Hannigan combination and before that Hannigan and Hernandez. But excuse me, never gotten much power out of that spot. So, um, given the fact that the Reds are really lacking from the right side of the plate, as you noted, in terms of power, it, it changes the lineup a little bit. And, uh, you know, all the talk this week has been about whether, when are they going to move, when's Brian Price going to move Mezzarocco up in the order? <clears throat> you know, I don't know if he will or if he won't, but uh, if if nothing else, it provides sort of a different look from the Reds' offense. And they're certainly not getting much uh, out of anyone else from the right-hand side of the play. Although Frazier's, uh, Frazier's been he's okay. Some, he's had some pop. He's just not, he's not getting a lot of hits. Yeah. But the hits that he, are, he is getting are, you know, going for extra bases. So, I mean, in in regards to the moving Devin Mezzarocco up, I think that if the Reds were struggling right now, but Devin was hitting, he'd have been moved up by now. I, You know, it's, it's one of those things that you don't want to mess with stuff when things are going well. And it's, you know, it's somewhat superstitious, but it's also kind of a little bit psychological. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, a good portion of lineups are are essentially psychological anyway. You start making moves more because you want guys to think things are different than them necessarily being different. You know, we talked about uh, Joey Votto moving up to the two spot. Well, you and I haven't really talked about it, but uh, I've talked with people, other people, I suppose. Wait, you're um, talking you're talking with other people? Well, any you know, I don't get a lot of people that will actually <laughs> listen to me, but. Um, but you know that move, I think, was was as much just about uh, kind of just changing some psychological aspects 
um, you know, for just some some guys in the lineup more than anything. I don't think it was a strict. I mean, it, there is some strategy there. You're going to get a few more at bats for Votto and uh, you know what have you. He's going to see different pitches probably with uh, Billy Hamilton on base. But um, you know, it, it really just comes down to okay, you're trying to change mindsets a little bit, um, and you know whether or not that matters, whether or not uh, a guy should take a different approach in the two hole isn't as big of a deal as the fact that the guy may think differently based on where he bats in the lineup. And, and so, yes, it'd be nice to see Mezzarocco bat a little higher to get some of your big thumpers all clustered together a little bit more. Um, but as long as other guys are hitting right now, I don't think it's that big of a deal. No, I agree. And and you actually hit the two points that I wanted to make on that with respect to that. Well, then why are you even here? Why won't I just do all the talking? <laughs> Believe me, everyone that is listening to this right now wishes that you would do yeah, all the talking. That's certainly not true. Uh, um, but Votto moving to second, uh, it's coincidence, okay? And let's go ahead and address this. But about the time that Pr- Brian Price moved Votto to second and about the time Mazzarocco got back from the disabled list, all of a sudden what had been just a horrific Reds offense looked uh, a lot better. Now, you know, uh, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Votto moving to the second hole. It doesn't have a whole lot to do necessarily. Well, I guess it does have something to do with Mezzarocco being so hot uh, when he got back. But uh, it seems like those things happened right at the same time the Reds' offense started uh, started clicking. And and while there may not be a direct uh, correlation there, it makes me happy because I'm a Votto fan, I'm a Mezzarocco fan, and if they get some credit uh, that's maybe a little undeserved for the uh, – for the fact that the Reds' offense turned around so quickly, right about that time, I'm all for it. Um, that, that's the uh, sort of the gooey uh, field of dreams type Reds fan that, coming out in me a little bit, not uh, the data-based uh, one. I, you know, those are those are a couple of my favorites. So, uh, with respect to Votto hitting second, this is something that I know I've advocated for a while uh, as being a good idea. A lot of guys, a lot of the national guys, uh, have. Uh, have advocated it going back to last year. We had a, a large conversation about it with respect to Dusty uh, refusing to move him to the second hole. And, and that's a little unfair to Dusty because there are very few managers who would have done that, in my opinion, with their best hitter. Now, we talked two weeks ago when you and I were together about, I think they actually we, we titled the uh, podcast, is, is the Brian Price honeymoon over? And there are some strange things that Brian Price have done. I, well, not strange things. There are some things that I guess maybe have been by the book, but things that we a little disappointed in, the way he's uh, handled his bullpen maybe a little bit, and a couple of, of other things. But if you'd have told me that uh, midway through April he would have moved Joey Votto to the number two spot in the lineup, it would have blown me away if you'd have told me that preseason. I would have thought, this guy's everything that we want him to be. So maybe the honeymoon was uh, over a little quick for him, but uh, and maybe he's not doing everything the way I want him to do it. But that's a that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Moving a, a former MVP, Joey Votto, up to second in the lineup. I'm not sure there are any other managers in, in the big leagues that would have done that, or, or very few, if any. Well, I, I do believe that there is a little bit of a, a sentiment that's changing ar- around baseball. And and also, I think that Votto is not your prototypical middle-of-the-order slugger kind true, of guy. True, true. Um, you know, Man- so... And that may have made guys, it a little easier to uh, to make that move, I guess. Yeah, but you see guys like Joe Maurer batting second. Um, and, and Maurer and Votto have a lot of similarities in the style of game. Votto has a little more power than Maurer does. But, uh, you know, they both are very much, you know, work deep into counts kind of guys, uh, take a lot of walks kind of guys. So I, I think you're starting to see what what I think is changing is so much is you don't have the – 
the traditional view that the two ho- the two hole hitter is the guy that's going to you know bunt to move the guy over hit behind the runner that kind of stuff um you may not be putting you know Miguel Cabrera is probably never going to bat second but uh you're going to start seeing better hitters in the two hole I think I think uh I think the mindset is changing there from you know when we were kids so uh, it's not it's not necessarily surprising to me that uh, J.J. Hoover's the man sometimes. Um, anyway, uh, I'll let you catch up. I'm going to see if I'm behind on the DVR or something because, uh, yeah, J.J. Yeah. Hoover is the man. You're exactly J. J. right. J.J. J. Hoover just <laughs> finally uh, got out of the bases loaded jam for once in his career. Exactly. Um, so, uh, anyway. Well, but are there any other managers, though, that I, you know, I follow baseball fairly closely, and I can't think of uh, – I mean, I, Joe Madden obviously would probably do this, but um, I, I – that, just, that would take an established three-hole hitter and then move him up to the two-spot. I, you know, I, I can't think of any outside of Maurer. I don't know if Maurer, you know, I'm assuming he was a three-hole hitter before they kind of started batting him second. Um, I can't really think of any, but you know, from in the Reds situation, and I think it makes a lot of sense uh, from a practical purpose because Votto is much more comfortable taking pitches than Brandon Phillips is. Brandon Phillips, you don't want to put him in a situation where he's he's supposed. I mean, I know we would all would love it if if Phillips showed a little more patience at the plate, but that's not his game. And if you're putting him into a situation where he needs, he's supposed to be taking pitches just so that Billy Hamilton might have a chance to steal. He's he's not going to be comfortable in that role. I don't think he may not complain about it, but he's not going to be comfortable. Right. Votto, you know, Votto is going to be willing to. If the situation calls for it, if the pitch calls for it, take a pitch and let Hamilton try to steal a base. But the other advantage and the other reason why we like Votto there, and he's already shown this a few times, if that pitcher feels like he needs to to split the plate with a fastball so that he can throw out Billy Hamilton, Votto's going to put it in the seats. And and so we saw that uh, that first weekend. So, um, you know, I, I think it just, you know, it, it may seem unorthodox, in the process of it, but I think that um, you know it's a it's a logical step, and not just from a stat head perspective. It's a logical step from a strategy perspective for your team. Certainly, it makes all the sense in the world, and uh, and it makes all the sense in the world, uh, sort of as you've said there in the Reds' specific situation. You know, uh, there aren't a lot of uh, sort of MVP types, uh, number three hole hitters that are like Joey Votto in terms of the way he approaches uh, mm-hmm. each at bat, and in to go along with that, Billy Hamilton hitting right in front of him. Um, you know, it, it's all keyed on Billy Hamilton getting on base, which he's not done a lot yet. Um, Two fifty mm-hmm. on base percentage, I think, at this point. Um, but when he gets on base, it, that is a that's the exact spot you want Joey Votto hitting, in my opinion, because uh, because if they're going to throw him a fastball uh, because they're worried about Billy Hamilton, or if they're distracted by Billy Hamilton, and uh, you know. Uh, Votto's the perfect guy to take advantage of that, I guess. So, and, and Francisco Liriano has already come out and said that he was distracted one time with, by Billy Hamilton, and Votto put one in the seats. So, exactly. You know. So, uh, how often do you hear a pitcher say something like that? <laughs> never, never. Um, yeah. So, if Billy Hamilton can just get on base uh, at a reasonable clip, good things can happen with the current construct of the Reds lineup uh, and the current personnel uh, in the Reds starting eight. So, but kudos to. Brian Price, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Dusty Baker. I we I try to stay away. We don't. There's no reason to beat that dead horse anymore. But it's something he would not have done, uh, and most managers I don't think would have done necessarily. Um, but I think it makes sense for this for this lineup, and I'm glad to see uh, Brian Price not afraid to to go away from the book, not afraid to try different things. Um, 
So, I don't know. There are some – Brian Price is not perfect. He's not doing everything I want him to do. But he's doing uh, – I'm not disappointed in Brian Price, I guess. Yeah, I think – I mean, I think you'll find um, day-to-day managing of a roster is a lot more complicated than we'd like it to be. You know, I mean, it's – you have a lot of situations where you need to have um, – you need to make decisions that don't seem logical and they don't seem logical to us because we don't have all the information. So, and that's not, I mean, that's, that's kind of a general defense of all managers. Now that doesn't mean that it makes sense to bunt in the first inning with a runner on second um, and no outs. That's that kind of stuff, you know, is never logical, but um, you know, it, the personnel decisions, the kind of stuff that, you know, maybe grates on us a little bit, you know, he's trying to manage personalities and, and individuals with, you know, their own lives outside of the ballpark that, you know, one guy may come to the park that day, uh, having just had a big fight with his wife or may have found out that his parents are sick or something like that. So he's, you know, he's got a lot of stuff to manage that we don't ever hear about. Um, so sometimes I try to, remember that and that you know managers are going to make mistakes or what look like mistakes mainly because they're trying to manage around stuff that we don't even know about they they, they look like mistakes uh, to people that have incomplete information yeah that's that's exactly the way i feel about it um you know i want the game to be like a video game right you know i can man i can manage on a video game yep. there's no way in the world that i would be qualified to manage uh, an actual team full of uh, actual humans who have um who who are uh, not just the guy that you see on on television, I guess. Right. So um, that's something that I think uh, I've tried to let inform pretty much all of my opinions about what's going on. And I'm not nearly as uh, as quick these days as I was probably ten years ago to sort of fly off the handle regarding certain things because there's so much information that I don't have, and it's even more now than it ever was because because uh, teams now have their own proprietary information that uh, that I just don't have access to. Uh, right, and so um, I guess just in terms of giving the manager the benefit of the doubt, maybe I'm a little quicker or a little uh, uh, slower to condemn managerial decisions these days uh, because I don't have all the information. And and you know, frankly, if a if, if a guy like Price can get things right, think outside the box, is willing to consider uh, it, it sort of advanced uh, concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's such a foreign concept in Cincinnati that. Yeah, he's going to bring in – he's not going to pitch Sam LeCure when I want him to pitch him, but who knows why that is. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I guess that's my perspective on Brian Price. Right. You know, and it's uh, – I had something really, like, super smart to say, and it's and it left my brain already. So, oh, that's, well. That's the danger of uh, talking with me when I start rambling. <laughs> uh, who knows what uh, going to fly out of your head. So Yeah. Well, if it comes back, you know where to find me. Uh, go ahead and, uh, and mention it. Um <laughs> But but you know we we talked about whether Brian Price's honeymoon was over and and uh, I think you and I were both uh, not particularly impressed with the start Brian Price got off to while not ready to say that this guy um, is is not going to be a good manager. Um, well, but like we said, you know he's going to he's kind of learning on the job too, so he's going to make mistakes and uh, it all depends on how he learns and adjusts and you know the th- things like moving Vado and the two holes show that he's willing to make adjustments and try things out and you know if they work he'll stick with them and if they don't work then hopefully he'll make adjustments again right yeah so um, 
So let's give Brian Price a, a little bit of a, the benefit of the doubt early on, I suppose. Yeah, Brian, Brian, we don't hate you anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah, you sh- we're still on our honeymoon. Okay, it's, it's, it's not over, Brian. Um, although you don't call me anymore. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, so what else is going on with this Reds team right now? Um, you know, looking across the – looking the, the, down the stat line, Brandon Phillips had a good night tonight. He, he is sort of what Brandon Phillips is at this point in the year, though. Um, Jay Bruce, are we are we going to get some more from Jay Bruce? Uh, what, you know, he's he's displayed a surprisingly good walk rate. I want to think. See, when when small sample sizes work in the direction that I want I want them <laughs> to go, uh, I want to think. Oh, he's he's changed something in his approach. Uh, well, and he actually, I mean, I look back all the way to I don't know if it was like beginning of last August. I think is when I looked. And he is among like the top five and walks over that span. So it's not, I mean, it's still not a full season's worth of data. Um, but he is, I, I think he has made changes. Now, the interesting thing, or, or maybe not interesting, his, his other numbers aren't particularly good during that span. Um, but that being said, I think that, uh, it's good that if he, maybe he feels like he's not seeing the ball well or not hitting the ball well. He's willing to hold back a little bit and not force himself into outs, um, and perhaps maybe he's still making outs because he's just not swinging the bat well. Uh, but at least he's still trying to do other things like get on base. Um, I'd like to see him bust out, uh, particularly right at this very moment when he's coming up with first and third and two outs in the top <laughs> of the ninth. But uh, yeah, I mean, he and he's starting to show signs. I mean, his what did he go three for four or three for three um, on Sunday? So I mean, it, you know, I, I I don't pay, I don't watch baseball, so I don't really. Know. Um, <laughs> well, what what do you go? What starting hit? Yeah, one day uh, last week he uh, had four walks. You know, got on base five times. What was he one for one with with four walks? That's yeah. not a that's not a typical Jay Bruce stat line. That's a Joey Votto stat line. Yeah. Um, so I guess if you wanted to uh, use the glass half full version of what we're seeing from Jay Bruce, it's that uh, he has matured as a hitter. And uh, you know when the when the power and the other numbers start to follow along with that, he's going to be he's, he'll take a, the step forward that we've been hoping he's going to take forward. And, and Jeff Brantley said something the other day, and at the time I think Bruce had 13 strikeouts and 13 walks, and he said if those two numbers end up equaling each other at the end of the season, whoo doggy, he's going to have a good <laughs> year or something. So, That's a, that sounds like something I would say. I know, but I, th- I and I think that's a good point. It's not that we necessarily want him to continue to take walks, you know. And I think that's that's part of the um, the issue with around walks is that I think sometimes people who who don't quite get the, you know grasp that whole concept uh, believe that you know we're more than happy hey, take bunches of walks. It's not that. It's the uh, not making not making foolish outs, chasing pitches outside of the zone. That's kind of what we're you know what we want guys to get away from. And so walks end up hopefully being a benefit of avoiding that sort of approach. And if Jay, you know, gets himself out of chasing pitches out of the zone that he can't do anything with and gets into, you know, if he, if he is able to get himself into a Joe, into a Joey Votto type of mindset, um, you know, with his kind of power, I think he's going to put up impressive numbers. I hope. You, know, you, you would hope so. Yeah, it's it's the it's the approach that I, I sort of call the uh, the Ted Williams approach from from Williams's book on hitting, which is it's not that you're up there looking for a walk, and I think that is part of the what the criticism with Votto has been over the last few years amongst the talk radio crowd. Uh, he's up there looking for a walk. He should be up there looking to drive a run in. It's you're up there looking for a pitch that you can handle, that you can drive. 
Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if you can't handle it, you're not helping your team by taking a swipe at it. Right. And uh, and we've seen a little, you know, Vado or Bruce, excuse me, has said uh, said the right things about how he wanted to emulate Vado over the last couple of years, and um, and maybe we're maybe seeing some fruits of that right now. You got to think that the rest of those numbers will follow along. If he's if he's really choosing an approach, choosing is a difficult word because that's a that it's not that you can choose because it's a, it's not easy. Right. But if if, he, if he's really trying to uh, emulate what uh, what Vado does and uh, what Taya Williams was famous for. Yes, I just ca- com- somehow ran in a roundabout way compared Jay Bruce to Ted Williams. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but of just of, of trying to swing only at pitches that you think you can drive, and if you, you can't handle it, uh, laying off it. Walks are going to be a byproduct, but that's not the goal. And I, I agree. That's where that's where the talk radio crowd, um, as I'm calling them very uh, derisively. Uh, the people that would call in to talk radio and want to claim that he's not looking for RBIs, Votto's not looking for RBIs, looking to draw a walk. Uh, it completely misses the point, and we've we've gone over this a hundred times, I guess. Right. Uh, I, I I posted a, uh, what I think is a good stat to kind of demonstrate this um, today. So the top three con- top three players in terms of contact on the Reds contact percentage this year are Zach Cozart, Joey Votto, and Billy Hamilton. And one of these things is not like the other two. <laughs> and and that is that Votto makes hard contact. So contact, making good con or uh, quantity of contact is important, but even more important is making or or at least equally as important is making hard contact. And those are the kind of balls that turn into hits, that turn into extra base hits and turn into home runs and turn into runs. And so um, you know, yeah, We'd love it. Uh, I, I mean, I think I think it'd be great if Votto would be able to hit the ball hard out of the zone. If he was um, like Miguel Cabrera, who can pretty much hit the ball anywhere all over the zone. But Votto is not as talented of a hitter as Miguel Cabrera. Votto has to uh, make adjustments to his game in order to take advantage of his strengths. And so, um, you know, that means that he's going to have to lay off pitches that maybe are just a you know, an inch or two off the plate because that's not the kind of pitch that he feels like he can handle and he can hammer. Right. Votto's the type of guy that if he were just going on his uh, natural ability, not saying that Miguel Cabrera is just uh, going on natural ability. I don't mean right. to insinuate that at all. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that probably would that may not be an elite hitter uh, if he weren't so cerebral, I guess you would say, right. in terms of his approach. Um, right. So um, you mentioned Kozar. I thought that was a wonderful – well, I must not have thought it was that wonderful because I don't think I retweeted it. Sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was a great uh, one of these things are not like the other uh, a tweet because it did uh, put Votto between Hamilton and Cozart. What are we to make of Zach Cozart? Uh, you know, I think Cozart can be a valuable valuable member of this team without hitting much. His glove is good. I, I'm a Zach Cozart fan for what that's worth, especially in this offensive environment. But hitting uh, 143 getting on base at a 169 clip, probably not going to cut it. Uh, and he's looked he, – he's another over for 4 tonight. He's not looked very good, has he? Well, I mean, he looked good. He looked pretty good in Chicago. He hit the ball pretty hard. He hit a home run. Um, he's not – he's in the – he's where he needs to be in the lineup for one thing. You know, batting, batting eighth is the kind of guy – I mean, it's – um, like we've said before – if this team didn't have so many shaky bats elsewhere in the lineup, 
we'd be perfectly happy. I mean, maybe not perfectly happy with Cozart the way he's hitting right now, but we'd be just just fine with a weak hitting shortstop. And he's not going to hit 143. He's not going to. He's going to hit you know probably 240, 250 around there. He's going to have a little bit of pop. He'll probably hit you know maybe 40 extra base hits or something like that. So. Um, it, the expectation of what you should get out of a shortstop needs to be tempered back from the mid nineties. Uh, there aren't shortstops like Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter and Nomar Garcia Parra and Miguel Tejada out there anymore. Um, you know, the closest you get is Tulowitzki and he doesn't, he, you know, he seems like he's hurt all the time. So, um, you kind of have to draw back your expectations. And I'm not saying we need to go all the way back to the mid seventies. Uh, you know, guys like Concepcion and Mark, Mark Belanger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those guys, but, um, you know, Larry Boa, you know, those kind of guys who are all fielding and no hit, but expecting your, your shortstop, there just aren't shortstops out there anymore that are going to hit, you know, 300 and slug 450, 500 or anything like that anymore. Right. And all last year when Kozart was batting second, uh, the point I kept making was, Hey, I, you know, I like this guy. I don't have any problem with Zach Cozart being a Cincinnati Red. He just needs to be batting eighth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, like uh, like Bill and I discussed in last week's podcast, the Reds have, you know, Billy Hamilton might need to be batting eighth right now, and you know, they got, everybody can't bat eighth. Right. Uh, so, um, I bring up Cozart just to mention that he's really started off exceptionally poorly. Uh, but you know, how many times do we say small sample size here? Right. Uh, Let's not get too excited about Zach Cozart yet because he is, he's, uh, he's got a good glove, and Cozart can be an effective, uh, even a good major league shortstop for what that's worth, uh, hitting in the eighth spot if the Reds can get some offense elsewhere. So we'll mention him because he's hitting only 143, but then we'll just move right along. Um, offensively, yeah, you know, I don't know, not a whole lot interesting uh, to talk about otherwise. Um, Ludwig's Ludwig, uh, Frazier. Actually, Ludwig's having a pretty solid year so far. So um, I say Ludwig's Ludwig. You're right. I'm looking at it. You know, his he's uh, quiet. It's been a quiet, but it's, it's, uh, I'm it's, surprised. Yeah, actually, now that I look at it, because I watch every game basically, and 800 I, OPS. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, that's not bad. And you know, Heisey, who's uh, not playing a ton necessarily, but he, he's not doing poorly either. Mm-hmm. So those are some of those incremental gains we had talked about. Um, Really, when you look at it, Billy Hamilton has not been good. Cozart has not been good. Brandon Phillips uh, started off well and uh, has uh, has dropped back a little bit. But everyone else, I don't know. I'm not uh, I'm not too displeased all of a sudden. Um, but then again, you can't have a you can't have Hamilton hitting like this at the top of the order. That really just hurts. Yeah. Um, although I, I think there's going to be a study, and I'm not the math whiz to do it. Maybe I should try. There's going to be a study, um, and, and I, I think. Uh, Dave Cameron at Fangraphs was supposedly going to publish something, something about this, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, I think we're going to find out that Billy Hamilton is going to be much more valuable than we think he is. Uh, I guess with a lower on-base percentage, if this makes any sense, than you would than you'd want from a leadoff hitter. That he can still be a valuable offensive player. Yeah, I, I think with a much lower, I, I thought if he could get 320, 330 on-base percentage, he's going to be really valuable. Uh, I think we're going to find out the number is actually lower. Um, yeah, because what this guy does with his legs. He went first to third on a on a ball that was hit to the pitcher t- uh, today. Oh, um, did he? Yeah, I mean this guy is insane. Uh, yeah, and so I've never seen anything like him. Yeah, well, when he you know he beat out a 
a hit to the, uh, a routine ground ball to first base. I've never seen that before. Right. Uh, granted, there was a little bit of a stutter, and the first base was a little, you know, first baseman was a little confused. Rizzo, I think it was, was confused if he should throw it or run. But if Rizzo had just run to the base, he would have beat him. Um, but he hesitated just enough that he didn't even have a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things like that that you just don't see in the major leagues. I mean, that's, that's little league stuff. Yep. So and and of course we, I'm going to be talking about this that still that little uh, short fly ball that Bruce hit and he tagged up on that short fly ball to right field a couple weeks ago and Hamilton tagged up on it scored yes um, so I so I'm not uh, Hamilton has not started off well although he's made some small gains over the last little uh, last week or so um, I mean I, I think everybody will agree that he he really needs to try to switch his game so that he's not putting the ball in the air so much. Hitting too many fly balls, yes. He, yeah. That guy needs to hit the ball on the ground and run. I mean, and it's so cliche. You hear you hear jokes like this because of the Willie Mays Hayes thing, but I mean, it really is true about him that he's hitting, and it's not like, because he doesn't hit the ball sharply enough regularly. Like, he's not hitting line drives. He's hitting floating fly balls, and, and those are just the worst kind because it just gives the outfielder time to get out there and get underneath it. Um, so if he can start putting the ball on the ground, he's going to be in much better shape. I don't know. He had a sack fly tonight. Got one of those big ribeye steaks. Right. Well, that's all that matters, man. Driving <laughs> in those runs from third base with less than two outs. Woo, doggy. Driving in those runs. Joey Votto didn't do that tonight. No. Um, he's 0 for 4. Yeah. Trade him. He's not done much tonight, yeah. 0 for 5 now, I guess. Wow. What a jerk. Yeah. Gosh, he's not worth that money. Come on. Um, the rest you get Todd Benzinger back. Benzinger was a guy that I thought was great. Yeah. In 1990, I thought he was fantastic. I loved well, that guy. What was funny was when I started researching the book, I, I had, you know, I had no idea how, how like subpar his numbers were offensively. <laughs> he was really was bad, like, wasn't he? He was yeah. like a sub 700 OPS at first base. <laughs> right. You Corner know. infielder. And, oh man. Yeah. That's the guy that I did. That's what we talked about what, how we thought as kids. That's the one guy I always think of. I, I thought he was. Incredible because he was the really the primary starting first baseman for the world champions. This guy must be awesome. Yeah, yeah, he was bad. Um, well, let's talk about the pitching staff. How about we do that? Okay, sounds There's, like fun. It does sound like fun. Uh, there actually have been some interesting storylines with mm-hmm. the pitching staff. Uh, Alfredo Simon, who we'll talk about, and we could probably spend an hour talking about Alfredo Simon. I'm in love with this guy now. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Cueto, though, let's start with him. Johnny Cueto, you know, he's uh, four games. He's one and two, so he's been awful, I think. It's, I know. It's it's unfortunate that he's had such a bad year because we had such high hopes for him. Right. Um, yeah, he's not an ace. One he must two. be hurt again. <laughs> right, exactly. Four starts, uh, ERA of 1.5. I mean, this guy has been uh, – he's struck out 35 uh, in four starts. Yes. He is, uh, he's walked only eight. Uh, I, I, this is the Johnny Cueto – of course, he's been this Johnny Cueto in large part when he's been healthy over the last uh, couple of years, but he has been uh, unstoppable. And 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 you know he hasn't uh, stood on the mound and dropped the ball like he did in the playoffs last year. Yeah. So. Hey, way to pick at the scab there, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry about that. And I, I I make fun of that, uh, but I, I'm a, I'm as big a Johnny Cueto fan as you're gonna you're gonna see. I'm actually growing my my hair out to look like his. Really. That'll that'll look good on the bench. That will look good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, 
right, Quaid was, you know, probably not going to have a 1.5 ERA the entire year, but this is, you know, when we talked before the season. <laughs> Hater, right, yeah. Um, this is one of the things we talked about before the season, uh, that we really needed a healthy Johnny Cueto and an effective Johnny Cueto for the Reds to uh, take the step that we want them to take. And uh, are, are there any reasons to complain about anything Cueto has done? I, I, if there are, I don't know what they are. He's been fantastic as far as uh, I'm concerned. And I'll uh, no complaints about Johnny Cueto. Well, you did say he was one and two. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's so much fun to watch when he is on, uh, cause you kind of like, how is he doing it? But he's doing it, but it's not like he's doing it. Like, you know, it wasn't like Bronson Arroyo where it's like, well, this guy's got no business doing this, you know, he, but it's, you know, doing this. I don't know why I keep saying doing this anyway. (laughs) He, uh, but he, you know, he, it's, uh, um, sorry, JJ Hoover just gave up a long foul, Anyway, um, let me watch I, it here. I need to. Oh start. yeah. <laughs> oh mercy. Yeah. Um, to those of you at home, you'll remember it was the Todd Walker just before he struck out Todd Walker. I actually he hasn't struck out Todd Walker yet. I'm calling it. Oh, uh, I'm I was calling it, of that dog on it. I'm calling it in the past <laughs> for people who are listening to this it, now. It, it, um, it, it, before you go any further, it actually might be Neil Walker uh, rather than Todd Walker. Oh, I always call. I'm what having, was that? For I'm us? having. I'm having bad. Oh no! What's happened? Oh, you're giving me I'm bad. Sorry. I'm sorry. What was that, Brandon Phillips? Are you kidding me? <sighs> that was a terrible way to lose that game. What in the name of all that is good and pure was that, <sighs> Brandon Phillips? Uh, to try to describe it, if I can, uh, I'm no I'm no Tom Brenneman. Brandon Phillip leaped in the air to make a catch, and what the ball was like the ball looked like it was about three feet away from him to the, to the other direction. Yeah, to the left and the other direction from the way he was leaping, and then and then the throw home to uh, Mesoraco bounced over his head. I'm not sure why Mesoraco couldn't. Well, I'm not going to make I'm not going to say anything about that because my daughter played catcher and she had one thrown to her. Oh, life. the ball! The ball just—it was a hard bounce yeah. in front of the plate that Mezzarocco wasn't quite ready for. It, I think he was expecting it to come down a little bit and it bounced hard. I mean, I won't complain I about mean, Brandon that, Phillips' defense very often, but I—that I was just a weird play. Yeah, I can't. That's you don't see that. And well, what what was weird was it looked like Phillips could have caught that ball, and it also looked like if Mezzarocco had caught it, he would have had Martin out at home easily. Yeah, he would have definitely had him out at home. I mean, it took a high bounce. It looked like it might have caught the lip of the grass where the grass yeah. is. No, no, it didn't actually. It bounced in front of the grass, but it did. I don't. Know. Maybe there's some clay there or something. I don't know. It looked like the bounce. It, the bounce to me looked like it was an unusual bounce, like it was a little fast or something faster than you would have expected. I don't know. How did Brandon Phillips misjudge that ball so badly? He never does that. I don't know. I mean, I like to complain about Brandon Phillips, but that's a play. We don't complain about his defense. Exactly, yeah. Oh, well. I hate the – I mean, I hate the Pirates. Yeah. Nah, they're not the Cardinals, but. That was just a lousy way to lose a game. Oh, well. Anyway, Johnny Cueto has been pitching unbelievable. Remember Johnny Cueto? We were talking about him about a half hour ago. He's pitching tomorrow. Um, or tonight for people who are listening today, or or unless you listened after Johnny Quaid, I don't know. I don't understand that. Did I mention I don't understand this time space continuum stuff of, of podcast? Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's like a Doctor Who episode. In time here. shifting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Quaid, oh, 
Oh man, you know that's coming tomorrow. Oh gosh, yes. Uh, I'm actually not looking forward to that. Um, but he's been great in 2014. Forget about last year. Um, uh, happy, happy, joy, joy, I guess, right? Yes, yes. And, uh, and watching him pitch, um, you know, when he, uh, when he threw that shutout against the Pirates, watching him pitch, uh, that was one of the most fun games I've seen this year. Just because he was so in control, um, he had eight called strike threes that game, which, um, if you haven't heard, is the the highest amount that we know of for a Reds pitcher. Uh, that goes back to 1988 when we first started tracking pitch information. We, I say we as if I had anything to do with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's so it was one of the more impressive pitching uh, displays that we've seen. I think he only allowed three base runners the whole game. Struck out 12. Uh, you know, hopefully he can do it again tomorrow because it's really fun to watch him shut down the, the Pirates. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Bronson Royal a moment ago, and Bronson Royal was my favorite Red for the last two or three years just because when he was uh, pitching well, it was just, it was magical. You couldn't figure out how he was doing what he was doing. And sort of the way I describe Johnny Cueto is uh, he's, he's sort of Bronson Royal with talent. I mean, it's even more fun to watch that guy pitch when he's on because he, he, well, he's got that motion, first of all, that, you know, I, I like little quirks like that. And, uh, and yeah, he, he makes the ball do things, um, and he can baffle hitters at time. Uh, Cueto's a guy that if he had been able to stay healthy, he's the guy that would have gotten Homer Bailey's contract. Um, yeah. You know, uh, not that I'm upset about Homer Bailey being a red for the next few years, but, uh, although Bailey, let's, well, let's talk about Homer, uh, since we're okay. on it. He, uh, it's a rough start to the year, and so everyone, oh, why are you giving all that money? He's not worth it. He's the worst. Homer Bailey's, in some ways, the eh, maybe this is an unfair comparison, but he's the the Joey Votto of the pitching staff in that nothing he's ever going to do is going to be good enough. I'm afraid. Um, he struck. He he battled in his last outing and, and pitched pretty well. And uh, uh, can we put to rest once and for all the you know is, should we be worried about Homer Bailey? No, we should not be worried about Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, Homer has consistently started slow uh, over his first couple starts the last few years. His ERA is something like five and a half um, for his first two starts. And then he picks it up. And so we shouldn't be surprised. And we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, it went three starts this year. But that's somewhat unsurprising given the fact that uh, you know, he he didn't really have a full spring training because he was dealing with uh, what was it, the groin or hamstring or whatever. I don't. Yeah, the groin. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think the fact that he is, uh, I think he's going to start coming around here and and start um, showing us what he can do. Yeah, you know, the the only difference between his slow start this year and previous slow starts is that this is the year he signed a contract. Right. Uh, that big contract, but. But you're right. The difference as well is that he got a late start, or not a late start, but he got sort of held back a little bit by the injury in spring training. So, come on. Um, I, I get so tired of uh, drawing conclusions about pitchers based upon you know 14 innings. Right. Well, and you know, it's what's tiring for me is the hey, that guy's getting paid a lot of money now. So now I'm going. You know, we have to we have to have these super high expectations and. You know, he's not allowed to falter at all. And, you know, I'm allowed to bring up his contract every time I'm unhappy with the way he's he's going. And that's, you know, it just gets old. These guys make a lot of money because there's a lot of money in baseball. Right. And that's yeah. just the way it is. You know, it's, you, you know, 
you and I are never going to make that amount of money because we don't work in an industry where there is a lot of money going around, um, except for you know Joe, uh, CEO, who happens to lis- listen and love this podcast. Right, yeah, the, the one CEO who's like, wait a minute, what are they talking about? That's my industry. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, faulting Homer Bailey for, because he makes a lot of money, it's, it's not even worth discussion, frankly. But if we're going to talk about money, how about uh, a guy that's earning his paycheck big time, Alfredo Simon? What's up with that he, guy? He is money. Oh. Uh, I, you know, it, what's funny is that um, – can you imagine uh, – like I don't think we could have expected this out of Matt Latos, I mean to be well, honest. Another slow starter, right, exactly. I mean Simon has done something Latos has never done in his career, which you know, uh, he's been almost unhittable over his first three starts. Right, and so uh, in some ways it kind of worked out almost a little better. That I mean, not not that I don't want Latos back. I don't, you know, it's another one of those cases of eventually, um, you know, the back of your baseball card catches up to you. So uh, Alfredo Simon, eventually, he's going to come back down to earth. That doesn't mean he's going to completely collapse or whatever, but uh, he will come back, and hopefully by then um, Matt Latos will be uh, back in the rotation, and and Simon will be in the bullpen. Uh, which I'll be fine with because, frankly, I think the bullpen could use somebody like Alfredo Simon as well. Oh, that, certainly, and he's been an effective reliever, and they need him in that bullpen. But one thing that I was concerned about this year was if the Reds the Reds have a good starting five, but what happens if somebody gets hurt? And, of course, we've had the injuries, uh, Matt Leto specifically since the season started, and Simon's stepped in. So I guess I'm a little less concerned now. If uh, there are further injuries later on in the year uh, that might take put someone on the 15-day disabled list, uh, I'm pretty comfortable now with with Simon stepping in because clearly, you know, three starts with an ERA of 0.86, um, he's clearly the best pitcher in baseball. So um, he's the perfect guy to step in if the Reds need him later yep. in the year. Yep. Uh, not happy for the guy. You know, he he said he wanted to be a starter. He's he's not been shy about saying that. Um, not that he's been complaining about being a reliever in Cincinnati. I think after getting released by Baltimore, he's he was uh, he's happy that Cincinnati gave him a chance. But but good for that guy. I mean, he stepped in and has been more than anything anyone could have asked. And by all accounts, he's really he really is a nice guy. A right? Really, yeah. Um, you know, down to earth guy. So uh, I think it's great. It's good to see good things happen to good people. Yeah, he's he has rapidly become one of my favorite Reds. Uh, even before this year, I mean, uh, he was a guy that I could not believe the Reds uh, brought uh, east with them uh, in favor of uh, sending Todd Frazier to the minors there a couple of years ago. Um, and while I still don't think leaving uh, Frazier in the minors was a good idea, I think keeping Simon certainly has been has worked out spectacularly. And uh, right, it's good to see good things happen uh, to to uh, to good people. And you know, my brother who. Well, maybe I shouldn't mention this because I'm going to lose all credibility. But I've got four brothers. Okay, three of us are, are, are big time Reds fans. One is an Atlanta Braves fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's the black sheep of the family. But he walks up to me uh, one day last week and uh, sort of claps me on the back and says, "Who the heck is Alfredo Simon?" Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, clearly he's a Braves fan. So he doesn't know much about baseball. He doesn't follow baseball very closely. Uh, yeah. But uh, but anyway, I'm, ha- I'm I could not be happier with what Simon's provided, and uh, and I'm I'll be happy to get him back, even though he's been so good. I'll be happy to get him back in the bullpen because that bullpen needs him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Leak had a rough start tonight, Mike Leak, but he's been uh, been pretty good. Well, uh, I mean, really, it was just the grand slam. Uh, yeah. If he could just never pitch to Ike Davis again, oh, gosh, I've had all the Ike Davis I can take for one lifetime. Yeah, goodness. Um, 
but Leak's been good. No, no complaints whatsoever about Leak. Uh, Singrani's been good. The, mm-hmm. the pitch, the pitching's been good. If the offense, well, and here the offense has uh, come around. And the Reds won uh, five out of seven. Yeah, well, five out of eight now. Oh. Sorry, but they did score five runs again tonight. You know, and it's the yeah. bullpen. The bullpen. I mean, and and honestly, it. We kind of knew that was going to happen, but the bullpen has really been the shakiest part over the last couple of weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. the offense, the offense is going to be inconsistent. Uh, the bullpen, you know, uh, we knew that there were going to be issues until, uh, you know, we have Marshall and Broxton back, but you know, they they can't pitch all the time. Uh, Hoover, you know, Hoover took the took the L tonight. Although Manny Parra. I, I think we're going to start realizing that, or hopefully Price is going to start realizing that there really is something to Manny Parra's uh, righty-lefty splits, and he's going to yeah. stop using them so much, especially now that Sean Marshall's back. He's going to stop using him so much against right-handers. He gave up the home run to McCutcheon tonight. Um, so, you know, and then uh, Hoover, a couple walks uh, really hurt him tonight, and uh, he gave up a couple walks, and then... Um, uh, the little dinker to uh, don't call him Todd Walker, and uh, <laughs> and um, you know next thing you know uh, they've scored the the go ahead run, so the winning run. You're right about Parra. Uh, you know Sean Marshall's the guy that's been used as a, a loogie, a lefty one out guy uh, for the last couple of years, and it's just given me a migraine headache every time it, it happened. Um, you know I feel pretty confident that if Sean Marshall can stay healthy and you know, Sean Marshall's not going to stay healthy. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get out ahead of that train. But right, um, Parra's the guy that maybe should uh, should be facing. Uh, we should be looking at his splits. I agree much more than Sean Marshall because Marshall's Marshall's a good pitcher when he's yeah. healthy. Uh, against and he, lefties, and Marshall, against righties. And, yeah, Marshall uh, is one of the better left-handed pitchers against righties when he's healthy. Yeah, yeah, Marshall's a guy. You know, I'm a huge Sean Marshall fan, and uh, he should be the closer on this team if he were able to stay healthy, in my opinion. But Oh, yeah. Um, before we get away from the from the pitchers, Araldis Chapman gonna gonna throw to to some batting practice to live batters this week. So uh-huh. that's that's good news. Uh, yeah, you know uh, Chapman. I don't think he should be the closer, but I like having him. Uh, I like having him on the active roster. Um, well, it's it definitely is much more uh, intimidating to have him down there in the bullpen. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not immune to uh, how much fun it is when the, uh, you know, the Cuban missile comes up on the uh, on the scoreboard and uh, he comes in from the bullpen and it's just it's exciting. I, I love the guy. Um, I, that could have gone so badly in terms of uh, what could have happened from that uh, injury from that line drive that he took um, off the forehead. Uh, you know, I, I'm so thrilled that he's actually going to be throwing batting practice and, and is actually making progress towards coming back. Um, I'm not going to complain about him not being a starting pitcher. Yeah. Now I I need to I think I might need to go back and retract something. Oh, good. Because they're showing the highlights here, uh, and um, and I feel I feel like perhaps I may have misspoken earlier. I'm I'm going back through the game logs because um, did Devin Mazzarocco really make an out, or did he just get on base on error? Oh, that's a good point. I did say that was, he was hit to the shortstop. It was E6. That's yes. A, that's right. See, he did not you, make it out. <laughs> I, I had not watched the game to that point. I, I did I, see that, I, yes. 
I was not able to sit down and watch the game until we started recording. So I had looked and I saw that his batting line was three for four. And I just assumed that, you know, like a normal person, person would, he had made an out. But of course, he's not even able to make an out when, you know, he doesn't get credit for an at bat. So, or doesn't get credit for a hit. So even when he doesn't get a hit, he still gets on base. That's, that's Devin Rosarock with the greatest player in the history of baseball. Yep. Well, anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. What else can we do? Uh, can we talk about here with this uh, team? Uh, we could spend hours upon hours, no doubt. Uh, we've talked about Mezzarocco. We've talked about Cueto. We've talked about Vado. Um, anyone else on the uh... – Ra- Ramon Santiago. There we go. Know. <laughs> yes. We probably don't want to uh, yeah. to talk about him. Um, I guess the question that, that you brought up uh, – offline earlier that I think is a good one to ask about this team is what do we know about this team so far? And I'm of the opinion that there's still a lot about this team that we don't know. Um, are they going to get Matt Latos back soon? Uh, my fingers are, are crossed, although it doesn't look like it's going to be extremely soon. He's not throwing yet. Um, that changes the way the team looks, but the pitching's been good. The hitting is starting to look better lately. <sighs> I'm not ready to draw any conclusions yet. I still think the Reds are. I haven't seen anything yet when you take into consideration injuries uh, and everything. I haven't seen anything yet that makes me think that they're any different than what I thought they were before the season. Now, of course, uh, before the season, I made some crazy prediction of 97 wins just because I was choosing to be optimistic. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy talk. Um, but I haven't seen anything to tell me they can't be a 90-win team or you know, and, uh, even 92, 94-win team if things go perfectly, which they haven't so far. But I haven't seen anything that makes me think they can't still compete for a spot in the playoffs. Um, is there anything about this team that we can that, that we know as of April? Uh, what is today? April 21st. Uh, although most of you may be listening the 22nd, Joel doesn't understand that. Don't just ignore that. But science is scary. Yeah. Well, so. I will say I will say this. Brady D. Callahan, our, our, I think he asked us a question on the mailbag last week, sends us this tweet saying, sick of watching this team lose in devastating, all caps, fashion. One thing's for sure about the 2014 Reds, they know how to lose. So I think that's one thing we know about this team. They know <laughs> they- how to lose. No, come on. Um, I Like you, I they're not – they're not anything like I haven't outside of Alfredo Simon. I haven't been surprised by much. Uh, you know, Devin Mezzarocco is obviously playing much higher than we would ever expect him to play for an entire season. But uh, I think one of the reasons why the Reds traded Ryan Hannigan is because he is not capable of this kind of offensive outbreak, and they felt like Mezzarocco was. Now, he's going to go through a slump at some point. His numbers are going to come down. He may go 0 for 12 or 0 for 15 at some point, and then people will be like, oh, he's played too much, he's too tired, whatever. Um, but uh, I totally lost my train of thought doing my crazy person voice. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it, though, if that means yeah. anything. Uh, so the team is going to be streaky offensively. They're going to have you know, 10, 15 game stretches where it seems like, wow, these guys can score five runs every night. And then they're going to have 10, 15 game stretches where it's like, wow, it seems like this guy, these guys can't even score two runs in a night. So 
um, the the good thing about them, the thing that always is going to allow you to choose to be optimistic is the pitching is going to continue to be consistently good and the defense is consistently great. And uh, when you've got those two things together, you're always going to be in games, which is why they're going to end up playing a lot of one-run games, and hopefully someday they'll learn how to win them. Uh, hopefully. Um, you know, I'm looking at uh, maybe I've miscounted, but looks like eight maybe, seven or eight of their of the Reds' losses this year. They've got 11 losses, I guess, now. Um, mm-hmm. I think eight of their 11 losses have been by one run. Uh, and so that's why I say, hold on a second. The pitch has been good. The offense is coming around. You know, they've, they've gone three and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, eight, eight losses by one run. If those had, if they'd had, say, five of those, you know, right. sw- had uh, gone the other way, we're talking about an entirely different start to the season. And they're one run games. They could have gone the other way. It's not like this team's getting blown out, I guess. And, and, and the record in one-run games is, uh, in some instances, uh, it's, it's, it's luck. It's bad luck, I guess. So, well, and, and you know, for this team, I think it's safe to say right now, part of that is um, early on it was the offense that was unable to, to really put things together. And lately it's been a shaky bullpen. Um, and the offense is going to be, like I said, is going to be erratic. I think this, the bullpen will stabilize at some point, hopefully. Please, yes. Yes, I hope so. Well, you got to uh, think so. If Marshall comes back and can stay back, Chapman's going to be back soon. Broxton is back now. That's three guys that they did not have for most of this first month that are better than what they had in there before, the Curtis Parches uh, of the world. So, yeah, I think it will stabilize. And, and and if Latos comes back, then you've got Simon in the bullpen then too. And, you know, Simon's right. proven that he's uh, he's a very effective pitcher, even out of the bullpen. Yeah. And, and even with the struggles the offense has had, the Reds are still, you know, second in the the division in run differential. Um, it's not like they've really played uh, as poorly as eight and eleven on the season would would seem, in my opinion. I guess. And the thing that we that we need to remember, we told ourselves a lot. We told ourselves this a lot before the season started. The month of April, the schedule in the month of April is brutal for the Reds. Um, they, you know, they are playing some of their toughest competition. And they're going to have tough stretches again later on in the season, and not that this is the only tough stretch that they're going to face. But given the fact that they were dealing with so many injuries, I mean, Skip Schumacher is going to come back soon too. We forgot about that. Oh man, um, that's but, you talk about glass half full. All yeah. right. But given given that they had so many injuries and that they were playing such tom- tough competition, uh, you know, a, a lot of people were saying, and uh, I being one of them, if they can be around 500 by the end of the month. Then you know it'll be a successful stretch, and here we are. They're at eight and eleven. They've got what nine, uh, nine more games. Nine more games this month. Um, you know, is it two more against the Pirates? Is it three, four against Atlanta? Three against Pittsburgh. Three more against Pittsburgh. Three against Atlanta. Three against the Cubs. Okay, so you know if they can go, you know, three and three against the Pirates and two and one or three and zero oh against the Cubs. You know, we're going to be right at 500, and so. Am I wrong to be? Ha- yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Am I, am I wrong to to be happy if the Reds can get out of this April at 500? I think that's a uh, that's a victory, frankly. Uh, Wait a it- second, Chad. I got I got to correct you here real quick. Oh no. Okay. Yes, you are wrong to be happy about anything about the Reds. <laughs> I think sure. that 
Yes, I agree. Go forth. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, because there are, <laughs> well, there are people that refuse to be happy about anything. I think a 500 uh, record, we talked before the year that uh, a 500 record would be pretty good. I think given the way the things have sort of played out, if the Reds can somehow get a 500 record out of this April, I think they're set up to have, uh, I guess I would, uh, I've, I've mentioned the term glass half full uh, several times, and that's not the way I am generally. I'm a glass uh, half empty kind of guy, but you got to think they've played a bunch of tough games against tough teams, and if they could sort of emerge at 500, they should be in a position to where they can really make some serious noise uh, the rest of the way. You know, let's not. The Reds' offense at times has been bad. They've learned how to lose, but they know how to lose. I guess. I think. I, I, well, like I said earlier, I don't think there's any reason to believe that this Reds team is out of the race or that it's going to be an awful season just because of what we've seen. It's a long season. The Reds are three games under as we speak, but um, talk to me again come middle of July. Uh, I, I expect the Reds to be right in the right in the thick of things. Who would have expected the, the Brewers, I guess, to to be so uh, get off to such a crazy start at this point? Um, they'll cool off. St. Louis is St. Louis. The Reds are going to be there. Yeah. A lot, a, there's a lot still to uh, be excited about and a lot of reasons still to watch this this season. So, yes, I, uh, to, to go back to the original question, I do think that a 500 month is more than satisfactory. I think it's uh, uh, exceptional given uh, the way they've played for parts of this month and, and who they've played against. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, you know, uh, the Reds are still below 500, but um, some signs of uh, of positive things. Anything else we need to talk about before we sign off here? No, I think we've wasted their time enough. We have wasted so much time. I- I'm sorry to all of you who listen to us. Um, I mean, I'm sorry for the the parts of the podcast where I've been talking because I know that you all all tune in for for Joel. Um, no, it's a it's, it's still going to be a fun season. You you've not given up yet. I guess is what you're telling me. Uh, not, not publicly. No, <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like to give up. I mean, yeah. what's, the, what's the fun? You know, it's, uh, the regular season can be fun. The regular season can be fun. Even if, um, the season ends up, you know, not ending the way you want it to end. So, you know, I try to enjoy it. Yeah, and that's a point you've made before, you know, uh-huh. baseball's fun. Let's, yeah. let's enjoy it, and, and you know there, there are lots of reasons to, to enjoy Cincinnati Reds baseball, not to get angry about everything that happens. Right. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, I think we've pretty much beaten this uh, this Reds horse uh, to death for at least another week. I hope it wasn't nibbles. <laughs> I hope it wasn't nibbles. Uh, and if there are any of you that don't know what that refers to, you got to go watch this video of Joey Fado on uh, MLB Network, uh, dressed as a, a Canadian Mountie and, and talking about his horse Nibbles. That that, that might have been the funniest thing I've seen in, in months uh, because of who it came from. Yep. Joey Votto, that guy. Uh, who doesn't love Joey Votto? Um, a lot of people, evidently, which blows my mind. All right, Joel, here's your last chance. Anything else you want to say? No, this was fun. It was fun. I, it's always fun talking about the Reds, and it's certainly always fun talking about the Reds with you, Joel. Let's uh, not do it while they lose next time, though. Uh, yeah, that was the disappointing part of that, and I still wait to find out what in the world Brandon Phillips was thinking. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll be back next week. You know, Follow uh, Joel on Twitter at, at J, and I've got to spell this every week because nobody will get it if I don't spell it, at J-L-U-C-K-H-A-U-P-T. Um, I don't know why you would follow me, but if you want to, it's at Dotson C. Follow Red Leg Nation at Red Leg Nation. 
Um, you can go to redlegnationradio.com to subscribe, and this is what I, I hope you'll do. Tell your friends about it, first of all, and, and go subscribe via iTunes or via the RSS feed so that the podcast will be automatically delivered delivered to your whatever your preferred device is. Um, because and feel free to spam your friends with it as well. Oh, I mean, not spam. Tell them about it. Yeah, or well, no, no, you can spam them. That's fine with me. Um, because we're having a lot of fun here talking about the Reds. Hope you'll come along for the ride with us. For Joel Luckup, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. <laughs>